fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Rick Cates. And normally I'd be saying our other host, Chris Leppert, was here, but he's not today. He's out and about in the wilderness and uh, probably floating down a river somewhere uh, trying to catch some smallmouth. It's a beautiful weekend to do it. It's Father's Day weekend. And uh, this is a uh, great time to get out, enjoy the outdoors, and really introduce some new people to this uh, thing that we love so much. It's also free wish- free fishing weekend in Ohio. So um, if you took somebody out this past weekend, make sure that you encourage them to buy their license because it actually pays for what we're going to be talking about today. So a lot of times on these podcasts, we cover a multitude of topics, whether it be you know, cooking or public lands, hunting, fishing, just outdoor activities in general. But today we wanted to do a shorter podcast and talk about some things that have really been big wins for the conservation community and for the outdoor community in general. So this past week, um, you may have heard that the Great American Outdoors Act passed the Senate. Uh, The week before last, we made the mistake of saying that it had already passed. It was actually called to what is called a cloture vote, um, or passed the vote to cloture. And this week, uh, they brought it to the floor, and the Senate voted 73 to 15 to pass it on to the president to get it signed. Now, this is a huge, huge, huge piece of bipartisan legislation that is going to essentially, as one person said, give the outdoors their own stimulus package. This is something that has been an extremely long time coming. And what this bill does is a lot of different things. Uh, It's going to help fund public lands. It's going to help fund uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund uh, permanently, finance it uh, so they don't have to continue to have to approve it annually. But we're going to get into that as well as a couple other things that we feel are important as hunters and fishermen, uh, women as well, you know, need to know about in terms of how your money's being spent in terms of conservation stuff. Now, obviously, you know, the easiest uh, things that we could point to are all the wonderful conservation groups that are out there. National Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, and there's a number of other ones. Trout Unlimited is, is another great one for fishing, and there's a number of different conservation programs that we have access to and that are wonderful stewards of the land and help fund a lot of projects that otherwise wouldn't get funded and help uh, the government kind of push through some reintroduction stuff that may have never happened had some of these people gotten involved. So we're actually going to cover as well the Pittman-Robertson Act, which is something that we all actually uh, pay into every time we buy a piece of outdoor equipment, as well as the Dingle-Johnson Act, which is primarily just towards fishing. So to kind of give a background, I think we should probably start with Pittman-Robertson and how that affects, you know, everything that we tend to do. So 
Pittman-Robertson Act, or the Wildlife Restoration Act, was uh, something that came along in the 30s. And this was after a lot of market hunting had stopped or had, you know, killed a lot of the animals off that we, you know, now love to hunt. White-tailed deer, practically gone. Wild turkey, practically gone. Elk, I mean, they're still only in 10% of their native range. But this was a piece of legislation that was passed way back when thought that the revenues generated from this was were going to allow state agencies that were forming at the time to help boost their animal populations and restore the wildlife for future generations. Now, depending upon what con- part of the country you're in, uh, obviously I'm in Kentucky and the Ohio, Indiana area, you know there's deer everywhere. You know, you look back in the 70s, there wasn't deer everywhere. You've heard people on this podcast say, if you're lucky to see a deer or a turkey, it was a big, big deal. So this act actually uh, is something that you pay into every time that you buy a piece of hunting equipment. Uh, That includes optics, that includes long guns, that includes handguns, uh, ammunition, anything that you can think of, camo, any of that type of stuff. So any of your sporting goods stores that you walk into and you buy something from, you are paying what is called the, what is called an excise tax of 11%. And that 11% goes to uh, the government, which then uh, you might think, oh, well, they're just kind of keeping it there and, you know, just gets distributed amongst whatever else. And we don't actually see the money. Well, not with Pittman-Robertson funds. So what ends up happening with this is U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service actually gets the funds and they appoint it to state. Uh, the tax is handled by the Department of Treasury. They turn it over to U.S. Uh, FWS and they do the appointments. So the question is, do other states get more than other states? Not necessarily. So how the Pittman-Robertson funds are distributed to each of the states. So United States Fish and Wildlife Service deposits the Pittman-Robertson revenue into a special account called the Wildlife Restoration Trust Fund. So there are still places in the United States that are struggling to establish certain types of animals. You know, turkey populations are going down currently. You know, data shows this trending that it's going down. So they're working to reestablish turkeys in some areas. uh, In Kentucky 20 years ago, these funds were helped to utilize the new elk population that the herd is close to somewhere between 14,000 and 20,000 animals at this point. It also goes to helping reestablish native species that, you know, you might not necessarily even think about uh, as a state, as, as a person in your state. These funds are made available to each state every year following their collection. And the funds are distributed uh, through the following processes. Um, Once everything's collected, $8 million of that money is dedicated to enhanced hunter education programs. That is including construction and maintenance of uh, public target ranges. Now, now that was something that has changed over the years where that wasn't necessarily the case. But as a hunter and not necessarily a guy who goes and shoots guns a whole lot, guys who shoot guns reload their own shells go out and buy brass, go out and buy lead, go out and buy powder and that kind of stuff. They're spending a lot of money. That leads for them to be able to go and enjoy something, if they don't hunt, that they enjoy going and doing too. Um, you know, that excise tax on that ammunition or the parts for the ammunition goes towards them being able to, you know, 
keep up hunting range, or I'm sorry, gun ranges and public target ranges. That includes archery as well. So once the hunter education programs and construction maintenance and that kind of stuff uh, is distributed, $3 million is set aside for projects that require cooperation among the states. So that could be a number of different things. That could be um, that could be data-driven stuff where they're trying to do research over, you know, certain animals. They're trying to get cooperation to be able to run different programs uh, between the states and things along those lines. Then one half of the excise tax collected on handguns alone is set aside for basic hunter education programs. Now, this is also due to the uh, drop in hunters uh, over the past you know few decades you know as the decades have gone by hunters have gotten older they have not gotten younger I think uh, something like 10% of the population actually hunts uh, in the United States no that doesn't mean that people are against hunting or anything along those lines with uh, 90% in fact most Americans believe that hunting for food is a very uh, healthy thing to do a very a very good thing to do and when you know if you're out you know you can use this information as well for yourselves to help educate some individuals who might not know you know part of part of our job as hunters or outdoorsmen outdoors women fishermen or fisherwomen is to educate you know this is a huge piece of being able to have these wonderful things that we have set forth for us as individuals in the United States most other countries don't have this. That's why we have the North American model of conservation. You don't have it in you know, New Zealand. You don't have it in Scotland. You don't have it in other areas where we have really built back up our populations after a decimation that happened after European contact, really. So after the basic hunter education programs, if there's any money left over, the remainder of the trust fund is then divided with 50% appropriated to states based on the land area of the states and it's appropriated to the area of the state in appropriation to the total area of land in the country. So the remaining 50% is uh, appropriated based on the number of individual paid hunting license holders in the state proportional to the national total. So one thing that's real important to kind of take into account there, the more people that hunt in your state, the more money you get coming in. You know, fish and wildlife in everybody's state gets their funding from fishing licenses, hunting licenses, and in tags. Like that, that is how fish and wildlife funds themselves and with these Pittman Robertson dollars. So if there's more hunters and fishermen in your states, and I know I'm, I'm treading on ground here that people don't typically like, of, well, there's already too many people out in the lakes. There are already too many people out in the woods. Remember, the more money that comes into your state, the ability to be able to do projects where, you know, maybe a WMA hasn't been the best in years and people don't hunt it and they go to these other ones. There can be some land access things done. There can be more reintroduction done in areas. There can be all these different programs based off of you know, the percentage of people who hold licenses within these states. And that, that's a real important thing for us to think about as outdoorsmen and women in our community is if you're not allowing other people to get out and enjoy something as much as you do, we say it at the, at the, almost at the end of every one of these things, take somebody out, introduce them to the outdoors. It's also an idea that 
they'll go out, they'll continue, you'll have a new hunting friend. On top of that, though, it helps not only build the you know amount of money that your state wildlife programs get into the state, it's helpful for them to be able to provide more access and things for individuals within that state. Now, that's just Pittman-Robertson funds. To a lesser extent, we have what is known as the Dingle-Johnson Act, and I know that's kind of a funny name for something that uh, you know you <laughs> that you would uh, you would name a bill. However, um, this is these, this was brought up by uh, John Dingle of Michigan and Edwin Johnson of Colorado lobbied for this um, back in the fifties, and you know they they really 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 felt like this was an important thing in order to get our native fish back up to where they were. In fact, it's called the Sport Fish Restoration Act, so it started really in the same way. So in 1950, the Dingle Johnson Act was actually signed into law and created a tax on all fishing gear sold in the United States. So every time a piece of fishing tackle or equipment is sold, the money collected through the tax is set aside for conservation purposes. It is used only for that. It's not used for anything along those lines. You know, anything that you might think that they're, you know, lying in their pockets or something like that. It is set aside solely for conservation purposes. The money's reimbursed back to wildlife management agencies across the country, same way that Dingle John or same way that Pittman Robertson is. And these agencies use the money to work on habitat restoration to create access to public land. So one way, um, you know, if you live in Kentucky, one thing that uh, they do a very good job of down here, especially with their outreach of uh, their TV show, Kentucky Field, is they show you all the habitat work that they typically do for elk, for fish, and that kind of stuff. And if you go actually on uh, Kentucky's Fish and Wildlife website, fw.ky.gov, um, they have all this stuff on there for you to look at all their projects, everything that you can go and see where they've put these, you know, fish attractors at on lakes that are very near to, you know, a lot of different people in the state. You can even, I believe in some, some of the lakes, download it onto a GPS chip for your uh, fish finder. And they put a lot of effort into this. Now, sometimes it's old Christmas trees. Sometimes it's PVC trees that they've built to, you know, help crappie reestablish or have, you know, different things. A couple of years ago, you know, you had certain lakes turning over and they were really trying to figure out why, why is this continuing to happen? Well, they have the ability with these tax dollars that we offer as conservationists to them to be able to figure this stuff out. So to this day, we wildlife management agencies across the country use the money collected through this to fund habitat conservation public land access, and recreational facilities maintenance and other conservation programs like angler education. You know, a big thing that a lot of places are doing now are hooking cooks. This is for people who have never been fishing before. They actually go and they teach the people how to, you know, catch the fish, clean the fish, cook the fish. And it's a wonderful program. And it's a lot like the field to table um, thing that a lot of agencies have gone to, I'm sorry, field to fork is, is what it's called, where they will take individuals out with crossbows and teach them how to hunt a deer, you know, gut it, clean it, and prepare the meat, you know, as, as a very important part of, of the hunt. So 
you know, when when we're th- when we're saying conservation and hunting is conservation or fishing is conservation, you know, one of the things that people tend to forget is that hunters and fishermen pay for a lot, and I mean a lot of the programs that you see. In fact, when we get to the Land and Water Conservation Fund, those dollars have funded at least a project in every county in the United States. That's huge when you think about it. That's money that has went from your hand to your community. So when you're when you're thinking of, you know, uh, again, fellas, ladies, I'm not telling you to go out and buy the brand new thing that's going to you're going to be able to justify to your significant other or to family members like, oh, I bought this, you know, $2,000 crossbow or, you know, bow. So I, but it's great because I, uh, an amount of the money went to conservation projects, which is, it's awesome. Like, don't get me wrong. That's a super good thing, but hold off on that before you use that as the reason that you're going out and buying something new. So, you know, we have Dingle Johnson, we have Pittman Robertson, but the big, the big one that's happened this week, as I stated earlier, was the Great American Outdoors Act. And this is big for a couple of different reasons. Uh, this is one that, again, as I said earlier, this has been a long time coming, and this is something that is very big and a very nice piece of news in, during this weird time that we kind of find ourselves in, uh, in the pandemic situation. And one of the big parts of this getting passed. And when I said stimulus package earlier, the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, for those of you out there who are listening to this, who have had hardships or lost your jobs or things like that, I'm very sorry to hear that. This program that they've instituted with this is going to pump $9.5 billion over the next five years to help the National Park Service. It is going to create over 100,000 jobs for people to be able to go and fix stuff that's needed to be fixed at national parks and different areas for a very, very, very long time. This is, you know, federal public lands are suffering from a $20 billion loss in deferred maintenance costs with $12 billion of that accumulated by the National Park Service. So you're going to, it's not going to fix everything. But it's going to fix a whole heck of a lot of stuff. And it's going to you know, offer opportunities for people to be able to get back outside, help take care of stuff, help, help them get back up on their feet. Because people are going to need that after we come out of this whole big thing. Because we are going to come out of it, guys. You know, This isn't going to be forever. We've talked about this before. You can go outside. You can have a good time. You can go out and enjoy your public lands anytime. You know, Things have relaxed a little bit. And, you know, it's it's gone back up in other places and that kind of stuff. But the reality of it is, is that we're going to get back to normal at some point and we're going to be able to experience this wonderful, you know, influx of stuff coming into the National Park Service and all our federal lands here very, very soon. So be on the lookout for that if you're you know looking for a job or something like that. This is going to be a very large undertaking and there's going to be a lot of different stuff that goes into this. The second part of the Great American Outdoors Act that what makes it so great is it's to mandate the Land and Water Conservation Fund, uh, which is widely considered those, the, you know, the best funding tool for outdoor recreation. Um, it's going to be permanently financed to its full allotment of $900 million annually. Um, 
this is extremely big because this is something that's had to be approved every year, every five years, or whenever they've decided to vote on it. This lets us all know that every year $900 million is going to go in this. And you're you know, probably saying, but Rick, where does all this money come from? So the way the Land and Water Conservation Fund works is there is an excise tax or a, uh, you know, there are, I forget exactly what they're called, but there's money that comes in from offshore drilling. And you get a, essentially, the money comes in, it goes into this fund, and it's always had to be approved. It doesn't have to do that anymore. The money will come from that, from that area and will go directly into that. And it's going to allow for $900 million to be in there every year. Think about that. That's going to fund so many projects that for the outdoor areas that we know and love on a regular basis. Ohio, especially, has benefited from this recently with some land that they've purchased because they've you know, used it to help relocate certain roads or things like that to be able to buy more land. And they use the Land and Water Conservation Fund to be able to add more access to certain areas. Kentucky has done this with restoring beautiful areas that once were, you know, not great, you know, where elk now roam, where trout now swim. We have these abilities to do this. So this is a huge thing. You know, it's going to land on the president's desk. Uh, it should be this week or next week. And, you know, hopefully he signs it and, you know, it's going to help so, so, so much. The reality of this you know, passing 73 to 25 is huge. We haven't seen a lot of unity over some stuff lately, and this is a big one in terms of people walking across the aisle and saying, hey, let's work together. This has been one that we've wanted for a very long time, and we're going to have to rebuild the economy, and this is going to be a really, really big part of that. You know, our trails and campgrounds aren't in the shape that they really should be, and it affects the ability for people to be able to go there. You know, if you go, you know, to a campground this year, it might not look the greatest. Go back in a couple of years, it might be one of the nicest places that you've been uh, in a long time. So a little background on the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It was established in 1965 and has funded $18.4 billion in land acquisitions and facilities construction over that time. What that means is, is that with those funds, they've been able to buy or, you know, build things. You know, this is going to sound goofy. Everything from national parks to baseball diamonds to boat ramps to the playground equipment that you see at your local park. You know, this is something that helps communities as well. And as a conservation-minded individual, you want to point this out. You know, you want to be able to tell people about these things, and you want to be able to tell them that this is from offshore oil and gas royalties. That's what they're called, offshore offshore oil and gas drilling royalties. And, you know, rather than being siphoned off to other programs, this is something that was written a long time ago, and it's been a long time coming. So the idea of the helping the backlog is to help uh, the Restore Our Parks Act. Um so when that was actually bundled with the land and conservation land and water conservation fund funding in efforts to help create the great american outdoors act so this is going to 
actually be split in a backlog to help the backlog of funding for a couple different things as well. The U.S. Forest Service, which if you've read anything over the past couple of years, we've had these huge wildfires, and there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of kind of pushback on you know what a healthy forest looks like. This is going to allow for us to be able to go in and have healthy forests to also reintroduce animals that you know might be fledgling. You know, grouse being one of those, the rough grouse. If you've read anything from Rough Grouse Society, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, or any, you know, there's a great video on YouTube. I think it's like 45 minutes long of this uh, woman kind of going through from Pennsylvania and saying, hey, these things are, are not in a good place because of stuff that we've failed to do. So hopefully that helps with it. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management is one of the things, as well as the Bureau of India, Indi- Indian Education. You know, 70% of the $9.5 billion would go to the Park Service, with 15% to the Forest Service, and 5% to the other agencies. Now, is that $9.5 billion completely going to uh, the Park Service? Absolutely not. But it allows for it to be spread over a huge expanse of individuals that have needed this uh, to get taken care of for a very long time. So you're going to be seeing some of these things pop up over and over and over again. And, you know, this is one of those things that is kind of like a once in a lifetime piece of legislation that we see. You know, we've, you know, we've not talked about this on here before, but, you know, Teddy Roosevelt establishing the national park system and wildlife and federal wild, uh, wildlife areas, um, Wilderness areas. I'm sorry, federal wilderness areas. Capital W, not a little W. Capital W means federal. Little W does not. You know, it sets a historical precedent uh, for the Department of Interior to be able to manage this stuff. We we're called fueled by the outdoors for a reason. You know, it doesn't just mean you know that we only like to hunt and fish. There's plenty of people who rock climb. There's plenty of people who mountain bike. There's plenty of you know all these different things that. It's going to help open up a lot of stuff. I mean, one of the places that is near me in Kentucky is is Red River Gorge. And Red River Gorge has had trails and rock faces closed for, you know, a number of years because they don't have the maintenance stuff to be able to do it. Well, hopefully now that they will and hopefully it will allow for us to be able to, you know, really push our, you know, state agencies to utilize these dollars. So that brings me to my next point. Get involved in a conservation-minded organization. You know, I don't care what it is. You know, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, National Wild Turkey Federation, Rough Grouse Society, Pheasants Forever. You know, there's a small nominal fee that you'll pay dues for, but the information that you glean from it is extraordinary, and the ability to go out and help establish stuff out in your community is also wonderful. You can go out and you can also try to do some of these things on your own. So I've got written down in front of me uh, fw.kay.gov. You know, one of the things that you can do to help conservation just in general uh, is visiting that wildohio.com, Indiana's sites, or just your local, your local, your state DNR site. What will what that will allow for is for you to go on and look underneath their education tools. Kentucky has a great one right now that they're teaching you how to grow milkweed 
And, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. You know, one of Chris's favorite things is to have a pouch of milkweed. If you watch the hunting public, they use it as well. And for, for wind testing, you could have your own milkweed pods forever. Uh, and the idea there is, is that that's to help monarch butterflies. It's a small project that you can do with your family to help really push forward some cool conservation uh, things that are going on in the United States. Backcountry hunters and anglers in Kentucky, I know, have been helping with a number of different projects around the state to be able to get access into some areas and create more areas for people to use that haven't been used in a really, really long time. And we really want to push this stuff so you guys can get out and hunt public land, fish public land, or do any of those things. You know, one of the biggest things that we struggle with anymore as outdoor enthusiasts is finding a place to go. You know, that's not three hours away. Like, that's cool if you want to drive there, but um, if you're going to get up and do that, that's great. But it's also a lot easier to get up and only have to go an hour, 30 minutes, and be able to have areas around you that are going to be that much cooler for you to share with you and your family and those individuals that you like hanging out with and going out in the outdoors with. So be on the lookout for these things moving forward in the future, guys. Like I said, this has been kind of a different type of podcast, and we're actually going to wrap it up pretty shortly just due to the fact that we want to kind of show you guys that conservation is a huge, huge part of what we do here at Fueled by the Outdoors. If we didn't have it, we would not be able to bring you a cool podcast like this and be able to share some of the information regarding how your public lands are funded, how your projects around you are funded, or the things that might be available to you otherwise. As always, you know, the thing that we want you to do is take somebody new out with you and get them out in the outdoors. You know, they don't have to buy a hunting license, they don't have to be a fishing license. Go on a hike, walk a trail, you know, get them outside and get them doing the things that you love to do in the outdoors. As we kind of continue the podcast later through some of this stuff, you'll hear us you know, dip back into these things every once in a while. But the big part of this is we want you guys to think about how you as a conservation-minded individual can help your community out. Because too often, um, hunters and fishermen kind of get looked at a little funny and they say, well, what have you done for us? Well, now you have 30-some minutes of being able to explain to people what you do individually by buying just your fishing license, your hunting license, or by calling your senator or congressman and saying that you supported the Great American Outdoors Act. So, that being said, uh, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Rick Cates. It's been great talking to you guys, and I will talk at you next time. Bye. podcast today please remember to subscribe like review on all major podcasting platforms we are available on apple google TuneIn, Castbox, spotify and all other major podcasting platforms as always we are available for contact at the elite outdoors one at gmail.com that is the elite outdoors the number one at gmail.com thanks a lot guys talk to you next time Thank you.